From the Duck South Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. We're mass communicating. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for them. This is the End of the Line Podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com. I give it a, uh, a 10. A 10. Sweep the leg. You have a problem with that. And now, here's your host, Rocky LaFleur. I bet you slice into the woods a hundred bucks. Gambling is illegal at Bushwood, sir, and I never slice. Also starring Josh Webb, Jake LaTondras, Rob Kroon, David Ellis, and Ramsey Russell. Showtime. Right, here we go. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. Showtime, everybody! Showtime! Welcome to the End of the Line podcast. I'm Rocky LaFleur in the Ducks House Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. Join me on the other end of the line. Double R, Ramsey Russell. Ramsey, Rocky, how are we? To fall. Welcome to fall, bud. Yes, sir. Is it fall yet? Man, this is 50, <laughs> probably upper 50s here in Oxford this morning. Ooh. Wow. Wow. Come on come on down. They need to push on down here to Brandon. Man, it is really, nice. it is really, really cooled off. That's good to hear. That is good to hear. It's that time of year, man, and uh, you know I'm I'm fired up for it. You know, it, it, it seems like it's been cool up in the Dakotas, Nebraska, uh, and and north for a while now. Then they've been killing lots of birds. You know, Ramsey, I always think every time I see because I'm friends with a lot of people that are up there that are guiding up there. And, you know, it makes me think, I'm not saying that it has, that it does do anything. I always wonder what the pressure on waterfowl does these days. Because 20, 30 years ago, there wasn't the number of people going to Canada that there, you know, that there is today. I always the thought that comes every with every picture that I see coming from up there, you, you sit there and think, you know, really the the complaining of the migration overall, kind of that that graph goes together with the travel to Canada. Now, I'm not saying that it is a huge factor, but the, I think there's a ton of factors of where we are today as, as it pertains to the migration of waterfowl. I'm just saying it possibly could be. Am I, am I yeah. way off track on that one? I don't know, Rocky. You know, uh, you still get in some parts of Canada, there aren't many hunters. Both places are real hard to find. And then you get off into some of these communities where there's hotels and infrastructure, and every single hotel and every single restaurant is staked out by another name brand outfitter some good some bad some better some worse but nonetheless a whole lot of outfitters some of them running two or three vans a day of clients and i i wonder myself um 
about the cumulative effect of hunting harvest. And I, I, I mean, but hey, my faith is in the bean counters. I guess they know uh, how many birds are being killed and how it affects migration and the overall population of ducks, I guess. But I think it's more than it was back when I started going up there in the late 90s. Uh, it seems like it is. I mean, it, it's, it's rare. It's more common, let me put it, it's more common today to be hunting somewhere and hear somebody else shoot in the distance. Now, you get out in parts of the U.S., that, so many folks listen, you know what I mean? I mean, you're off hunting, you hear lots of folks shooting all around you. And uh, depending on where you hunt, sometimes you even hear their conversation. But at one time, not too long ago, you'd go to Canada and you never heard another shot. Now, you see lots. You know, one time last year, I was, I, I was coming into a town, sizable town. I think it's about 14,000 people. So it's about the side of Brandon, Mississippi. And uh, two lane, you know, no passing. And I'm just one of them kind of guys. I can't stand looking, you know, at, at the back of a trailer, back of a semi, back of something, you know, just right there, can't move. And uh, finally, it was my turn to, uh, I kind of veered over and took a, took a glance. And it wasn't just one of them. It looked like maybe two of them up there in front of me. So we hit a long straightaway, no, no, uh, no passing. Pew, I can pass now. I floored it. One, two, three, four, five, six outfitter trailers. I, I passed all bumper to bumper, coming down the road, coming in, and and they, they none of them were affiliated. It was all different name brands on the side of the trailers. And I just got to thinking, wow, not like Duck God, Arkansas, maybe. You know, I, I just, that was when I realized, man, there's a lot of folks hunting up here now. Well, why wouldn't you? There's a lot of ducks. I, I don't know what it does, how it relates to a lot of ducks down coming to Mississippi anymore, but you just got to wonder, Rocky, I wonder. You know, there's a lot of people going to a lot of different places. I feel like knowing a lot of these boys as clients and friends of mine that are also traveling in different places, you know, Chances are the guys that are going to Canada are also going to the Midwest or the Pacific Flyway or chasing species. It's, it's just a whole different. Like I said the other day, it's, it's a real, real, real big world. And, um, you know, this, this ain't my granddaddy's day. My granddaddy couldn't imagine. I'm telling you, I was a practical little Southern lawyer. That man wouldn't have, in a wildest dreams, imagined jumping on a plane to go. Canada or anywhere to shoot a duck, let alone five times, six times, seven times, eight times a year, like a lot of folks do. You know, I, I don't know. I guess the models or algorithms, whatever they, they punch in to manage ducks, I guess it accounts for all that. But last year was the first year since ever that I had actually, I actually received a harvest survey from Canada. I wondered if they even surveyed Americans. It because I after twenty something years ago, and I'd never gotten one, and I did, and I, I filled it out and sent it in. And uh, but I just wondered, you know, I don't know. A lot of folks going, but the hunting can be good. It looks like it's been a great season after after the difficult season that they had there last year. It looked like it has swung the opposite way this year. For sure. The thing you got to remember about Canada and that whole northern prairie is uh, there's wet years and there's dry years. But it can be spotty. 
it, it, it can be it can be real dry in one area and wetter in another. And a lot of ducks will concentrate like some of the outfitters. I was hunting near some of these outfitters I've been keeping up with on social media, friends of mine, and they're mauling the ducks. And when we were up there freelancing that area, granted it's a big area. We never really got into the ducks. We were targeting white geese. But we never really got in an area that the ducks were flocking in, you know, so so they're not just evenly distributed. They they might be heavy in one area and lighter in another. You know, and one thing that surprised a lot of first timers that I, I talk to when they go to Canada is you're liable to get up at three thirty in the morning and drive an hour and a half, two hours. That's a lot of ground to go to go hunting. I'm at a point now. I mean, I'll, I'll go and do it there, but man, I don't, I don't get up in Brandon, Mississippi, and drive two hours to go duck hunting much. In fact, rarely anymore. Ramsey, after you left Canada um, a couple of weeks ago, you dropped down into North Dakota and hunted with a good friend of Duck South and a good friend of yours, Nick Marcy, some Dirty Bird Outfitters. Oh yeah, and yeah, he and uh. Wow. While you were there, you you sat down with him and and did a little interview with him. How, you know, what you guys talk about? We talked about duck hunting in North Dakota, which is a lot like duck hunting in Canada. A lot like that. Very pothole and uh, wet years. They have a a really nice duck production this year. They're way up on duck production because they had water and parts of Canada did not. I actually know uh, six boss. Matthew Peel, very good friend of mine. That relationship started. He booked some trips to Mexico, and we shared some time in the blind and got to know each other. And he runs a heck of a spring snow goose hunt down in Arkansas and uh, up in the Midwest, and then um, runs his hunt in North Dakota. I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast, but Nick and I certainly talked about it during the afternoon while we were out scouting. I've never really promoted hunting or hunts or outfitters in North Dakota. Now, somebody calls me up, you want to go shoot a swan, or you want to go duck or goose hunt like we did, by all means, call Dirty Bird Outfitters. I think they're best in the business. I love them to death. I love Nick. I love I love them. I like them personally. I like them professionally. They do a very, very good job. But I've never really carried that on my webpage. And Nick had asked me one afternoon why. And I said, you know, in a lot of ways, to me, North Dakota right now, and it's changing, represents kind of like this last frontier. You can still knock on doors. I, 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 in my whole lifetime, I can't imagine knocking on doors in Mississippi or the Deep South. Go hunt anything of value, but that state still is. Their rules still are. And they get a whole lot of freelance traffic over there. I know a lot of people that are up there right now are heading that way. And, boy, I tell you what, you get around some of those hubs in North Dakota, some of those big areas, uh, Devil's Lake, for example, it is an ocean of what they call blue plates, you know, from the next state over. They come over there to freelance. It's crazy. Like the hotel I was staying at, I left to go eat dinner with Nick and his family. I don't know what time I left, about 5 o'clock. Parking lot was empty. <clears throat> I backed up right to my bedroom, and I come back that night, Friday night, day four the opener. I had to park down there a block away. 
lap full of out-of-staters coming in there to hunt. When we talk a little bit about that, Nick's a fun guy, very knowledgeable. He's got a wildlife degree also. He's a fisheries biologist during the off-season for North Dakota and then uh, guides and lived in that area for over a decade. And, man, knows everybody and everything, you know. And, uh, man, all the ducks, Mike. And you know what was so crazy? I was up there the last weekend of September, and there were tons of blue wings still up there, tons of blue wings. And just ducks galore, ducks everywhere. We would go by one area, and, I mean, there must be Rocky, must have been 1,500 birds hitting the field. I'm like, whoo, he's all, that ain't nothing. Go look at another one, make 500 birds, and plus 500 getting out, that ain't nothing. And there was so much water that even though a lot of the habitat had not, uh, a lot of the grain crops had not yet been cut, and them farmers were hurting, just like in Canada, man. They, they were late getting it in. Now, because of water, they're late getting it out. I, I showed a picture to a, uh, sent a picture of soybeans to a friend of mine, and just from the picture, he he said, you know, he he, he damages, he deals a lot with, you know, uh, low grade soybeans at times. Said, you know, he just said that's thirty, that's thirty percent damage, just just from sitting out there in that moisture, you know. And uh, do you know we we shot we shot birds, now we shot geese and shot ducks. But what was so interesting to me, see all these uh, internet scouters asking about scout report, how to go and be what are the ducks down? My God, boy, there's more duck than you shake a stick out in North Dakota right now. That hat's there. Problem is hunting them. But you know what? Them farmers don't want you nowhere near their field when it's wet. Nowhere near it. You need tracks. Like Nick and them got. But but now you got to track in from maybe a couple of miles away because he don't want you down his turn rows either. And you don't want to be down there and go sliding off. Because you ain't going to get out easy without tearing stuff up. And... And we went on we went on one feed, scout report, educated scout report. I didn't see it, but couldn't couldn't wait to do it. Supposedly there were six thousand birds on that field. Six thousand birds. And uh, them boys know how to count. Let me tell you, they 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 accurate. They didn't mean six hundred, they meant six thousand. And I was vibrating, man. It was opening day, six thousand birds. And and you should have seen, I mean, for the for the three quarter of a mile I actually did hoof in a little bit. Feathers and 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 duck crap everywhere. I mean, those birds, they ain't they weren't just there. They had been there and been there and been there. And um, I said, well, it's going to be quick. No. No, we didn't scratch the limit that morning. We killed some birds. Not a limit. We tagged our birds and went back and regrouped and come back out that afternoon and finished up our limit. But... It wasn't necessarily what I was expecting. Right there before dark, a lot of birds started coming in, but we were done. Um, and then the following day, while we're doing that, Nick was out scouting. Me and his dad and brother and some friends were hunting. And this was the big one. This was, this was Fred Sanford. Oh, this is the big one. I, he, done, he done found it, son. He found it. And these weren't even the same birds we were hunting. It's about five miles away. This was this was the gold vein of waterfowl. You know, probably five or six hundred gray geese, and I don't know several thousand mallards and pintails. And we deliberated looking at Google Earth because it would have been crosswind, but upslope about a half mile from an area they were laid up on the roost. 
you know, you got to be careful of that. You don't want to blow them birds out. But because the wind was different and everything else, we felt like, man, it's all right. We're not going to bother those birds sitting on that roost. And again, we get there and they're just sign galore. I mean, they're, they're just like every duck on earth has been walking around in fields. Got set up, got into position. Shooting time came and went. Didn't fire a shot, didn't see a duck, didn't see a goose. About 45 minutes after shooting time, an hour after shooting time, three geese come out of nowhere. Boom, we killed them. Well, we didn't skunk. That's what that's what Nick said. Well, <laughs> whew, we didn't we didn't get skunked. I guess say we gave another thirty minutes. Rock is fixing to rain, and man, I can tell you this right now: you hunt those grain fields that those birds are eating. The, the deal is, you know, you might as well stick it out because once them birds get in the fields, they ain't leaving. They're there. They don't. They don't. A normal routine: they fly off the roost, go get a drink of water, they come feed, they leave the feeding area to go get a drink of water, to go back to roost, they roost, and they repeat. When it rains, all bets are off to go to the field to eat. We stuck it out. I'm going to say two hours into it, we had, you know, uh, one duck apiece, or six of us maybe, one duck apiece and three geese. It just began to look like one of them days. And then the rain started. And crazily enough, we stuck it out. And by the time we were all soaking wet while I leave in, we're all wet while I leave, uh, we started shooting ducks. Not crazy numbers, nothing like what we'd expected. But we started shooting ducks. And, and the crazy, really crazy thing about it was it had been all mallards and pintails in there. The feathers on the ground were all mallards and pintails and Canada geese. But we were shooting gadwalls and widgeons, mostly gadwalls and widgeons and green wings. That would just come out of nowhere and dump into it. With the one pintail rule, you got to be real careful. You know, uh, and I know down here on winter ground, you look, oh, yeah, that's a mallard, that's a pintail, huh? Not a fair man. If, they, if they'll bank, give you a profile, good good profile, it's easy to tell what they are. If you pay real close attention when they're, when they're waffling in, you know, you can tell the pintail. they got a very elegant way they kind of rock into the decoys. But... They're, they're, they're basic molt, brown birds. you got to really pay attention because the limit's one. It brings up a good point. Just north of there, across that Canadian boundary, a mallard's a mallard. You can shoot eight. Eight hens, eight grapes, eight young, eight old, don't matter. Mix match. Boom. Eight, eight mallards is eight mallards. Drop down North Dakota, the limit's six, two of which can be a hen mallard this year, one of which can be a pintail this year. And... What I realized last year hunting with them, I really enjoyed that. It just, it upped the game, it upped the ante a little bit. You had to really pay attention. And and that just took it to a little bit different level. I loved it. We all did. I mean, you I mean, you, you know, you're sitting in a blind, six guys, you got five mallards working around you. They're working and working, getting the wind right, and everybody's kind of whispering. Third one from the left, third one from the left, third one from the left. All right, not, not, not in a second. You're having to communicate to everybody because whoever gets the shot needs to know which one's the drake. You don't need no more hens in the blind. You know, preferably you don't want any hens, but sometimes you get them. And it just ups it. You know, uh, times when they're, when they're really coming into the field good, you know, you're, you're not wanting to shoot hens. 
and and you know six people with a layout blind or a, or a panel blind just whispering and communicating birds are working and they get a little cell and they pick back up and they work back around and come i mean they're just sitting right in the decoys so you spot one okay that's a drake bam if a guy two two guns down shoots you can't up and snap up on a drake you just don't you just sit out that volley you know and it just i don't know rocky it's just it's just uh it's fun i like it you know and, and it, it is kind of cool when the when the when the when the when the sun's right and the ducks are working ultra close like that sometimes all you see is the color of that little that little juvenile drake's bill that's the only way you're going to see a hatch year drake mallard and tell what he is it's the color of his bill. He got to be close. That's fun, you know. So that's what that's what I talked about, you know. And uh, Nick Marcy's after he and I got done talking, and I'm seeing a trend. So fair warning to anybody I interview. After I turn off the phone and lock the episode, I'm liable to turn it right back on because everybody I'm talking to now we 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 have we have such great conversations after the recorded podcast about some pretty cool things and um. One of the things Nick got to talking about, you may recall a few weeks ago in, in Saskatchewan, uh, or excuse me, a few weeks ago with Ira, we got we started talking about some changes in Canada, pressure being put on some of those landowners by freelance hunters, and some of the complications and and some of the you know the reaction and and uh, it looks like that could be coming down the pipe for North Dakota too. And you know, uh, by Nick's estimation, it it it, it uh, failed by a narrow margin. Uh, a new rule about posted lands and about public access on private lands, and it looks like for for some of the same reasons, too many people wanting free access to somebody else's land, uh, that things could be changing in North Dakota also. No times change. We live in a mighty big world this year uh, nowadays. You know, and and it and things could change there. To hear you talk about it, hear you talk about the the couple of days that you were there, and you, you just have this as a hunter looking at Canada, looking at North Dakota. I'm I'm going there and saying to yourself, I'm going there to hunt, man. We're we're on. We're going to smash them every day. It doesn't happen every day. Sometimes the conditions just aren't right. It's a huge right, like hunt, like hunt. Yeah. Man. Yeah, the, the, the reason, the reason, uh, it wasn't for lack of scouting and know-how. Let me tell you this. The reason we didn't just go in there and smash them lickety-split like I thought we were both mornings, and I have done with these boys before, well, had nothing to do with uh, the game or the plan or the location or the scouting or any of the elements of going to hunting. It had everything to do with the fact that with that much water, those those birds have lots of options. You know, you see the birds on this field for the last two days, the wind's been out of the southeast. And on the day you make a plan, it's raining or it's not raining, and the wind's out of the north or the east. Or the west. Those birds, those birds may come off in a whole different area. And they got so much options. There's so much. There's so much habitat flooded right now that a duck can make a big living in. And again, remember talking to Matt Shower. You know, uh, ducks have to be a certain age 
before they, their body starts processing grain. And if you've got a lot of cohorts laying off in that roost that are young birds, they make their living in water. So they got a whole lot at their disposal right now to, to jump off in some flooded potholes and flooded ag. It's got a lot of bugs they can make a living on. See what I'm saying? Maybe the majority rules out. So there's options for birds. It's not a guarantee, man. You make the game, you go have fun. And, you know, it's crazy because we had some two great shoots. We had two great shoots. One, none of them just lights out, 30-minute, hour-long, slaughter fest. Neither one of them. Those ain't no fun, man. They really aren't. They are maybe for a little bit, but really and truly, you don't. It's the... Uh, it's the time in the blind. I'm telling you, man, one of them guys bought a brand new griddle and fired it up. We ate, golly, we ate good in the blind one day. And Nick's very entertaining. He he has got a, a real good dry wit. We kidded in the podcast about having a morning prayer vigil for our buddy Matthew Peel being stuck on the oil rig instead of hunt with us. Not really. We just cut jokes all day and sent him texts and mess with him. Missed hunting with him, but we had fun at his expense. Well, Ramsey, we need to get to that interview with Nick now. We're just about out of time. And what he's got to say about the, the hunt there in North Dakota. This is Ramsey Russell, GetDucks.com. It's duck season somewhere. It is late September, and I am in North Dakota for the duck season opener. It's kind of becoming my tradition. I really like to be up here in this part of the world. Uh, it's similar as it is to Canada. It's different, too. In Canada, you're shooting pre-molted birds, but you can shoot eight of them. Down here, you can shoot six, but they, you're going to still only shoot two hens, one pintail this year. And it really, it really last year, it just I realized hunting up here, it really just added a whole nother level to what duck hunting is as compared to just an hour or two north of here in, in Canada. I'm joined by Nick Marcy's of Dirty Bird Outfitters. Um, I know Matthew Peel, owner, owner of Dirty Bird, cannot be here, and we had a little prayer vigil in the blind for him every morning. Not really, Matt. We laughed our butts off because you weren't there and you missed some great hunting. But anyway, guys, uh, y'all y'all tune into my guy Nick. He's a, he's a he's a good duck guy up here. Nick, what about it? Oh, uh, a couple good days of hunting. Uh, a little slow yesterday, but. We toughed out through the rain today. Killed a quite the mixed bag actually for North but, Dakota. But see that that's the that's the curious thing is like we we drove around and all these boys back home that talk about scouting. I know you know when I scout at my camp, I go look at a few duck holes. Maybe while I'm deer hunting. Man, we put some miles on the other day. Friday yeah. morning we put some miles on. Oh yeah, we'll put uh, average morning putting 150 miles on. Doing the same thing in the evening. Normally scouting evenings. Hunt mornings, uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a whole nother ball game up here. Scouting is actually, in my opinion, scouting. You're going and looking new places, new birds, going knocking on doors, getting permission. Uh, some a lot of people down south aren't used to. I kind of look at scouting down south as you guys are looking at spots. Yeah, uh, per se. Um, like I yeah. use not I use 94 as a breaker. Um, a lot of times I'll scout south of that. Or north of that, um, depending on what we see at times, go back to them certain areas. But I was expanding, looking at new ground. I don't say locations, and I know you don't either. But but would it be fair to say that from where we're sitting right now, guys, we're sitting in a hotel room. It's downpouring, 
And uh, he's fixing to go scout. I'm fixing to get packed up and head to the house. But, Nick, would it be fair to say that from where we're sitting, where y'all are headquartered, that you roughly cover about a two-hour radius when you start to scout? Oh, yeah, easily. That's a, that's a whole lot of square miles of, of habitat. Oh, yeah, yeah, and lots of different uh, terrain. Um, as you go further west, you get more into the potholes. Um, we're kind of right on the edge right where we're at, but, yeah, a lot of terrain. And I noticed too that you don't really uh, you don't take a day off. It's like it's like you're constantly not just looking where are the birds, but you're patterning them. It's like if you miss a day or two, you you might miss you might miss how they're transitioning or what they're doing. Oh, I catch myself uh, literally driving out of the way to follow birds. Like if I'm out around a town to get something, I might take a longer route just to. Uh, see the country, see if there's any new birds kicking around a certain area, or checking up on birds I've seen a few days prior, see if they're doing the same pattern, using the same field, maybe the same drinking hole, something like that. And it's wet this year. Extreme, it's real wet. Extremely wet. Um, in North Dakota, if you want to hunt fields, you're going to have something with the tracks, either a four-wheeler or side-by-side, or you're going to be hoofing a lot of decoys. Walking in. Because I, I I don't, you know, of course, I haven't been to North Dakota a lot, but it's very, very wet. I know some of the roads uh, we try to drive through. And everything up here, guys, is laid out by the mile. You, you can give somebody directions to your house by saying it's three miles that way, take a right and go two, and, and look for the White House on the right. Everything's laid out by the miles on these, on these section lines down here. So it's pretty easy to get around. Uh, very rare that you see a curve. No. It, it's um, unless there's a lake. In fact, you don't want to be ticking on your phone too hard, you know, in case one of those surprise curves sneaks up on you. I found out the other day. But what uh, what do you think the water has done to North Dakota? Like, like here's what I'm trying to say: when you get a really wet year, does it make it easier? Does it make it harder? Does it make it better? Does it make it worse? Well, with it, if we get water early on, say in the spring, it helps production a lot. Um, I think North Dakota's up. 26% over its long-term average on ducks. Wow. Um, and then honkers was was up compared to the last, oh, I'd say five, six years on production, production-wise. We got a lot of dark geese this year. And these are all giant Canada's. Yes, yes. Um, and then if we get, if you have a wet fall, it can make hunting more interesting, I would call it. Um, it'll spread the birds out. If we have a dry year compared to a, Compared to a wet year, dry year is going to concentrate the birds. Like you might only have a few bodies of water that are roosting a lot of birds. You can kind of key in on these areas. Right now, a duck can just by land anywhere he wants and be sitting on water. Um, Does it change the wetter in the wetter year? Like like I noticed this morning, and I've shot all the puddle ducks, shot some redheads. I, you know, over the years hunting in Canada and dry field hunting, uh, I've been doing it quite a while, but. I've shot a lot of different species, but I expect to see mallards and pintails. That's what I expect to see when I'm dry field hunting. This morning we shot, uh, we, we got our one one pintail a piece limit of pintails. We shot a few mallards, and golly, did the gadwall. Hey, uh, you Mississippi boys, listen up. We made the gadwalls pay rent this morning. But but I and, and the, the widgeons and, and the minute they came in and, and kind of kind of you know kind of arced up everybody saw those white bellies those white wing patches we all knew what they were but we shot quite a few widgeons this morning and then we shot that flock of green wings is that normal or is that a function of it being a wet year? 
Uh, it's it's kind of normal. Um, definitely the green wing teal. I've shot them throughout the years. Doesn't matter if it's wet or dry. Um, that flock, the time of day that it kind of come in, that was a little different. Normally when I shoot green wings dry feeding, it's right away in the morning, right at first light, right at shooting time. You'll have them coming in super low. Widgeon, it depends. Um, we'll shoot them here and there. I've had some amazing widgeon hunts, and then we'll have some years where we really don't shoot that many out in the fields. I think it kind of goes up with how their breeding numbers were that year. And then gadwalls, they've, they've kind of been the surprise, um, I would say, the last four to five years. Um, I don't know if it's an actual thing or not, but me and some of my, my buddies up here, we're kind of putting two and two together. We think these gadwalls are starting to follow mallards out to uh, to target dry fields, especially soybean fields. Um, I had some hunts last fall that we absolutely shot, like four to five man limits that were pretty much gadwalls wow. with a few mallards mixed in. So wow, that uh, it makes it definitely makes it interesting when uh, kind of how you touched on picking on uh, picking Drake brown picking drake mallards out of brown ducks when you're thinking that's what you're doing you, you stand up or sit up out of your blind and it's it's gadwalls that catch you off guard because you just see a real brown brown duck to start with thinking they're all hens until they flash out white at you well their behavior is totally different uh especially this morning and the and the ones we shot yesterday out around that slough than the ones back home i think of gadwalls typically as a first pass bird and every every subsequent pass they make, they're getting higher, not lower. You know, uh, they're, they're just very subtly flipping you off as they get further away. But uh, you know, around uh, opening day of dove season, Mississippi Labor Day weekend, there were a lot of big blue wing till reports down in Texas and Louisiana, uh, even over in the Mississippi Delta. I knew some guys that had three, four, five hundred till tucked away, and. I, I haven't really uh, chased those blue wings down south in the last three years because I've been up here in the northern tier, but I was shocked at the number of blue wings we saw up here. Oh, yeah. That, that's that got to be a function of all this water combined with the warm weather, but, I mean, there's a ton of water. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's also um, their production was up, like, a lot. Um, I don't know the exact number, but there was a lot of blue wing teal produced in North Dakota this year. And that would, that would make sense that maybe uh, – Maybe they had a banner year, and there were some there were some later hatches. Maybe some of these birds that are still hanging around in Mississippi, very late, you know, uh, after the main push, maybe they made it up and had a late clutch, and are still hanging out. Uh, we didn't shoot any in the last couple of days, so I didn't I didn't get to see what age class, but I would guess it'd be a lot of breeding females and and hatch year birds. What uh did you notice that most of the most of the ducks, most of the mallards and pintails especially were all adult birds. Yeah, yeah, big time. Um, we actually shot some pretty pretty colored up drakes and on the pintails. Definitely didn't see any notched tail feathers on them. Um, same with the mallards. Um, really the only hunt that we had uh, yesterday, we could have shot some younger birds. Kind of over water, kind of flooded field. Um, but if you're hunting a pothole or something, you'd definitely be shooting younger birds right now. So if we went to water, we would be that, – that, that makes sense, you know, because everybody's saying the hatch was a little late this year. Uh, Matt Shower and I were talking a couple of weeks ago that the uh, the younger birds, they, they've got to develop a period of time before their digestive tract will let them, will let them uh, process grain. They're, they're, they're focusing right now in vertebrates. 
and, and I would guess these wetlands, uh, every wetland I drove by is it, just slap full of submerged aquatic and, and cattails. It's got, it's got to be loaded with uh, invertebrates, protein and, and fat-rich invertebrates for those birds. Uh, tell, me about, tell me about the Canada geese. I know several years ago, North Dakota adapted a 15 Canada goose limit I think, uh, what, the first 15 days of August or the second 15 uh, days used, of August? used to run from August 15th to September 15th um, is how our early honker season. Uh, that's uh, Since I've lived out here, uh, which is 11 years, that's how it's always ran. Um, when I first moved out here, I think it was five. Um, and then they bumped it to eight because uh, a lot of the complaints they're getting from farmers from all the egg damage that uh, these egg geese, damage that these geese were ha- um, causing on their fields. <clears throat> having a clutch out in little slough out in the middle of a soybean field, and they can they can do some damage to some soybeans that walk up and strip them right off the plant. Um, and then they bumped it to that 15, and this is kind of the first bump back year I've seen to where we've had as many honkers as we that we used to. Um, when when it used to be eight apiece, me and a couple of buddies we'd go out and we'd kill our eight honkers no problem a piece. We'd literally kill them out so fast we could hunt the same field two, three days in a row. Now with that 15 bird limit, we got a lot of people that, a lot more people are coming to North Dakota for the honker season. Uh, guys might not be letting fields build as big as they used to. Um, like the problem I run into, I don't hunt the early season as much as I used to, but the reason why is if you see 50 geese out in the field, somebody's probably going to hunt them. Um, we used to hunt. We used to not hunt a feed unless it had at least 200 honkers. But this year's kind of changed. Uh, we've, we've hunted some pretty big feeds. Uh, it seems like North Dakota, in some ways, is western Minnesota now. Cause I sure saw a lot of blue plates out there on the roads. Is, is that where most of your uh, most of your guys are coming from to chase geese? I would say yes. Um, Minnesota, some out of Wisconsin, Iowa, them, them states that are close by. The early honker season doesn't count towards their uh, 14-day license for regular waterfowl, and it's a relatively cheap license. It's only $50. So, guys think, and it opens so early. August 15th, there's not that many places that you can go hunt waterfowl no. in August um, and have an opportunity at, at putting big numbers up. Um, it's going to be for big Canada geese if it is, because yeah. that, they, there, there's so many up in this northern tier. There's so many resident populations now that have built – uh, the Department of Natural Resource Agencies are, are trying to curtail them back. So, so ag depredation is a big problem. You think that's what's driving this? Is strictly ag? Oh, in, in my opinion, one hundred percent. The the season, like, I wish they'd drop it back to eight. Actually, um, compared to the fifteen bird limit. But I Why? Don't. Because it because it make it more of a quality experience. Yeah, because I think with the fifteen bird limit, everybody when they're coming to North Dakota has it in their mind that they're going to kill. The, oh, the limit's 15. That's where we're going to shoot every day per person. And if they don't, they'll sit out there till 3 o'clock yeah. in the afternoon. Yeah, or they'll... And just they'll, drive them off that field. They'll do stuff that you shouldn't do. They'll they'll get frustrated because they're not putting up a huge number, and maybe they go hunt a roost, and they maybe mess all them geese up in that area now. And um, It's funny you broke your subject because... This is the fifth or sixth podcast I've had uh, with this worldwide series, and and that theme 
of limit. In fact, our Macaulay and I got in a long discussion the other night about this. It keeps coming up with uh, not 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 with just outfitters, with everybody, with, with all a lot of us. It, it has been a recurring theme in, in Michigan, Minnesota, Saskatchewan, Alberta, now North Dakota. It's a recurring theme about this concept of limit driving uh, a lot of hunter behavior. And you know. Yesterday, yesterday was the opener in North Dakota. Y'all listen to this. Yesterday was the opener in North Dakota. Nick and I put a lot of miles on. I'm going to say 150 miles in the morning and 100 miles in the evening. We drove and we saw ducks galore everywhere. And he had some other spotters out looking. And we went all in on a field. We had to take the, the quad with the tracks on it across this muddy field so we didn't rut up the farmer's field. I'd say every bit of three-quarter a mile into that field uh, up to this little slough we set up on where they had been seeing thousands, literally thousands of ducks and hundreds of honkers. And the bird didn't come out and play. I mean, we, we, we were like, we had all the party set up, disco ball going and everything, and nobody showed up to our party. A few did, and uh, it was fun. We shot a nice band. But, uh, but nonetheless, it, it just didn't work out. But we had a great time. You wouldn't have known it that, that heck, I, I was counting count what was hanging in front of my strap, you know, but uh, and I knew we were off, but you wouldn't have known it from the demeanor of everybody in the blind. We just had a good time. No, exactly. That's... You know, it, 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 it really kind of took a, took a little pressure off because we weren't shooting a limit, but my point being uh, we didn't have to shoot a limit with that particular crowd to have a good time. And and, and here we go again in, in all these conversations lately talking about limit. And, and you think, I mean, I can see where the farmers are happy for somebody to come out there and bust the roost and get the geese off their property and, and, and stay out there all day long and, and spook geese and educate geese to keep them off their farm. But at the same time, hunting quality overall has maybe diminished because of that longer limit, is that, that's kind uh, of what the, yes. you're saying, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, because everybody, like I said, everybody thinks that because the limit's 15, that's what we're going to shoot. I've been hunting early seasonal quite a few years here. I've never, I've never did that. I mean, I've had some pretty awesome shoots, but that's a. And the other way I look at it is, do I want, do I want them? The hassle of that many birds. I was just sitting here thinking we we had uh we had yesterday and today we had what maybe uh, 20, 20 big sky panels and, and I noticed they kept they were the last birds that ended up on the tailgate this afternoon because we kept going for those easy ducks and uh, that that's a chore it's not quite like skinning a deer but it's getting on up there for a waterfowl to have to fool those big Canada geese I, I think skinning a deer would probably be easier you get <laughs> you get actually less meat off a deer than if you shot 15 honkers yeah uh, yeah it's a you end up with a lot of stuff you better be making it into sausage or you better love eating honkers because you get a lot of meat out of a little shoot of honkers well somebody's saying today that that uh you know, with the wind blowing and the rain hitting my hitting my rain hood uh, pretty good at times, I thought I heard y'all talking about a farmer putting a hot wire around his pond to keep those geese out of his field. Did that really work? Yeah. Uh, one of the farmers I talked to, he, he swears by it, actually. Uh, so North Dakota farmers can get kill permits um, issued to, to them by the state to uh, shoot problem geese off their land. They get depredation permits. Yes, depredation permits. And this farmer said that that doesn't really work. Them birds still 
will come back eventually to them spots. He said he runs a portable, uh, solar-powered electric fence, single strand. He said them geese walk out of the water one time up into a field, hit that electric fence. He said they aren't back. He said it's pretty easy to set up and take down. Yeah, well, there's, there's a lot of things to touch a hot wire that don't come <laughs> back and touch it again. You know, I had this old dog, Delta, that uh, we were out hunting out in West Texas one day. I think we were hunting sand hills and geese, but whatever we were hunting, she hit a hot wire. It, it was in tall grass. It was one of them single-strand hot wires, and she hit that wire. And then on the very same trip, I stepped on a wire to step over the wire, and not knowing she was coming behind me, my foot came off, and it hit her in the belly again. That dog avoided wire, period, any kind of wire for the rest of her life. In fact, she was digging holes in the flower bed one time. My wife said, you got to fix this. I'm, I thought about it for a little while, and... I went and cut some coat hanger about a foot long. Everywhere she dug a hole, I cut some coat hanger, and I put it on a stick and put it right there in that hole. <laughs> she never dug another hole right there in that flower bed. But just having a single piece of wire a foot long, that dog avoided wire. So I get, but but I never really heard it applied to Canada geese yeah, or that, waterfowl. That guy swore by it. He uh, he said he wished more farmers would, would do that instead. Because um, I understand where the farmers are coming from. They, they do... Quite a bit of damage, um, especially if, if it's a high production year, because um, they'll just walk right up from where they raise them young ones and teach them right how to they eat. Start, soybeans. start grazing. They start grazing. Yeah, mm-hmm. start start eating that stuff pretty good. What uh, what do you think about? What do you think about this weekend? Like, like I know I'm I'm uh thankful of course we've become friends and i get to come up here and hunt with y'all but i notice you, you don't start your clients until later this week uh i know you know I, I i don't know if i'm family because your mama wanted me to share my steak <laughs> with her the other night or a friend but but uh but i know you, y'all always reserve this weekend strictly for friends and family and uh that's pretty darn important to you isn't it yeah yeah um soon as we ever start a guide before we ever start a guide in north dakota I told Matt that I would never guide either opener, resident opener or non-resident opener for ducks um, in North Dakota. I reserve them for just just friends and family. Um, it's kind of the two weekends that I get to go have fun. It's not about shooting a lot of ducks or birds in general. I mean, yeah, we hope to, to kill some birds. Makes it a little more enjoyable, but... It's it's not as stressful on me. It kind of leads up to the, my guide opener, um, which is on Monday. You know, a lot of us that hunt a lot with, with clients, it's all about the client experience. That's what we do. We're in the hospitality business. And it's fun to go out with friends and family and not have to entertain somebody and just get to kind of get back to the roots of why we're in this business anyway because we, we really enjoy duck hunting. Yeah, you know, um, for what it is and what it ain't. You know, some days it's chicken, chicken, chicken salad, and some days chicken shit. But it's all chicken and uh, <laughs> rain or shine. We're out there doing it. Uh, here, here's here's something I got to I want to talk to you about because I think this is uh, real different to us southern hunters. You know, y'all got a Canada goose hunting culture up here. That, that's real different from southern hunters. We do not have a true Canada goose hunting culture like you guys do, but. The other thing is, you know, back home, uh, the whole Drake thing. You know, I, I've been in camps that, that uh, you pay a 10 or $20 fine if you shoot a hen mattered, hen pintail. 
up here the birds are, are basic molt they're brown more or less you got to really pay attention and you've got to abide the hen limit and, and for that matter you know especially uh you know like yesterday it was very cloudy it was starting to get dark when the flocks really started working in and when those birds would come above us and bank, yeah, 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 those are pintail or those are mallards, it's very easy to see. But when they would come head on downwind of us, start getting low immediately, we had to really pay attention because we were, we were, you know, after one one or two volleys, we were done on pintails. That that adds a whole new level. What what are some of the uh, – I remember last year when, God, there were tons of mallards and there were a lot of young birds working the field and – we were really trying hard not to shoot any hens at all, and, and it took a lot of lot of whispering up and down the blind. What What are some of the things you look for? What are some of the things? Just Just kind of could you discuss that a little bit? I think it's very interesting. Yeah, um, I tell you what, somebody somebody have enough to buy a new pickup truck if they instituted a ten or twenty dollar fine on hens up here. <laughs> you know, can have especially on a clear day. But but you know, uh, boy, you got to throttle back and really watch those birds and listen to them. Once you start, once you got your two hens on your strap, you're done. I mean, now you now you can only target those drakes. Oh yeah, yeah. No, uh, all main thing or one of the first things you can do is if it's a smaller group, <clears throat> as they're working in, listen to them. Uh, if you can hear a drake whistling, if you're watching that flock and we're getting them close. That you can key in on where he's located in that little flock. Um, kind of using each other as spotters, um, whispering down the blinds, hey, third bird back, watch mm-hmm. the bottom bird, oh, lead two ones of drakes. And once you pick them birds, stay with them. Stay Keep with your them. eyes on them two or three. Like Forrest Gump watching that ping pong ball. Don't don't take your eyes off of him. Um, and then the other thing we do is try and get them as close as we can. Um, right away, we got... You can look for the separation on the chest. Drakes right now, are, most of them are putting that chestnut colored feathers on the chest. But a, an old hen can trick you sometimes if the lighting's bad. That's right. And it'll look just as brown as or that color as a drake. Um, sometimes if they're working real close, you can look at bill color. Um, last year we had some A-frames mm-hmm. in the sun. You can look at the bill and tell them. Um, that, that's the only way I could tell the uh, the hatch year drakes was bill color, and 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 you know, but it was clear mornings, and the, and the sun the sun angle was right, the wind was right, where they were working and banking good, and you could you could pick that that light olive bill color, mm-hmm. you know. The 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 hen still got a got a little bit of orange, even if it's not the the dark orange and with the black saddle. Um. Boy, it it adds a whole new level of challenge. I I really kind of enjoy it because up here y'all can work those birds close at times. Oh yeah, and you know, like you're talking about the gadwalls, you might only get a one pass or something. Up here, if ducks are working right, they're gonna give you multiple opportunities. Heck, you can even get them to land, check them out on the ground, um, if they want to work right that day. Um, first about the first two weeks is the hardest part of our season for picking drakes. You get mid October, you can start picking drakes. Um, yeah, mid October on. Me and my buddies, if if you get you shoot a hen, you get called out for it. Um, your probably your bar tab's gonna be a little higher at the end of the hunt. Hey, who drinks. shoots the most hens? Buys the first round. Yeah, or any hens yeah. buys the first round. <laughs> um, 
yeah, the toughest part with picking hens and from drakes and stuff is uh, we put on a youth hunt every year. I love taking kids out. And they still, even on the youth hunt, which is a week weekend before our resident opener, uh, we still have to pick uh, drakes out. They can all, The kids can only shoot two hens. And that that's something, in my opinion, that should be changed. I, I wish I'd, the state would just, state and the feds could get together and just let kids up here shoot five mallards. They can still only shoot one pintail. That's fine. I can tell the kids if they're, oh, these are mallards, this is a pintail. But the other, <clears throat> the first day we hunted, we had four kids in the blind. Halfway through the hunt, I, I couldn't let them shoot anymore because we were close on our hen limit. And I couldn't, I was having a hard time picking drakes out and for me to tell a little kid hey third bird back in the middle you can shoot him mm, that gets a little tough well you know a a, a, a young inexperienced hunter has, has got so much going on anyway i mean they they don't you know fumbling to get their gun up they got to get their gun mount remember everything your daddy told them about leading i mean that's a lot to keep up with for a kid and i kind of I never really thought about what you said, but that would be a great idea in a time and age that we need increased hunter participation. That would sure be a that sure be a great step in the right direction. I mean, it kind of sucks to put a kid in a timeout box for for shooting a hen over. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. He, by God, he, he need he needs to get them birds in his hands just so he can see what's what. He'll pick up like the rest of us do with experience. I mean, that's a great idea. Yeah, I mean, even a veteran duck hunter they they struggle this time of year to to see that that drake from a hen i mean so let alone a week earlier i mean there's we were probably shooting ducks that that weekend that just had learned to fly like a week before um they they're pretty tough on their coloring hunting water obviously yeah 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 um yeah i literally had to throttle it back till i was like if if we get a drake that a single that comes in that i know 100 percent it's a drake i'll let you guys shoot it if we get an odd duck here or there which we finally did. We had a, uh, a widgeon come in. Kids were pretty pumped to shoot. I was pretty pumped that they shot it. Um, but, yeah, like Ramsey said, it takes some time. They don't need to be trying to pick hens and drakes because I'm used to calling a shot, and with grown adults, it's normally as soon as you call that, that shot call goes out, there's rounds going down range. It, it, it's enjoyable for me to sit back and listen to the kids like call that shot. and It's, it's a long pause before that first shot goes out. <clears throat> that's a federal law, and I don't know how amenable or, you know, the, the federal government would be to, to accommodating youth like that. Uh, in the state of Mississippi, when my kids were growing up, you know, there was a special black powder season, which is typically when parts of the state rut would hit for white-tailed deer. And, well, that meant that I had to not only have a black powder rifle for myself, but my two kids. That's a pretty expensive undertaking. You know what I'm saying? And uh, for the average guy, it, it, it's something else. And, you know, uh, boy, the state of Mississippi came up. I mean, I thought it was genius. They came up with an idea that youth hunters can use a high-powered rifle from start to finish from the, from the, from the youth season, which runs a week before rifle season opens in the state of Mississippi, those children are allowed to shoot a high-powered rifle at deer until the close of season. And, and that, you know, during which we got some special kind of hunts like that, like the black powder, that they can go out there and just hunt. And that, that to me, to get hunters involved or get the youth involved in hunting, we should make accommodations like that. I don't even know how to begin getting the federal government to, 
care, let alone institute something like that. You know, uh, they're too busy trying to get Trump out of office, you know, up on Capitol Hill to worry about youth hunters. But uh, but anyway, what? so what is <clears throat> 1st of September? How, how does uh, – right now, it just seems to me that we hunted all local birds. Those were All these ducks were raised right here in North Dakota, resident Canada's, the uh, the ducks, and we also saw some swans. Yeah, and those, those, those birds are, are uh, this is they're nesting and breeding right here too. Yeah. So what what happens between now and what did you tell me? Y'all run till December. Yeah, end of December. So two days. What would be a, like just a general progression from here to then? So we normally start our season off with uh, early October is you're all your local ducks, um, local raised birds in general. Um, other than Molt geese, which we uh, we picked geese out of the up from the north yesterday, um, but then about I'd say about mid October, around around that fifteenth mark, we'll probably see our first push of birds come down out of the north. On that first push, we're going to get uh, lessers and cacklers, probably the first waves of them coming down, and mallards with them, and then right around that Halloween mark, that's when we'll get a push of snows down. Normally there's a wave of mallards behind them or with them. And then uh, mid-November to right around freeze up, that's when we'll get a uh, probably one of the last pushes on the east side of the state at least. Uh, more big honkers coming out of Canada. The last push of the ducks um, coming down. We're normally, season on the east side of, the, uh, east side of North Dakota runs till oh, right around December 2nd. But... Uh, last few, we've had a few years where we've been able to hunt till then, but we normally freeze up. Uh, western part of the state is where it actually stays open um, through December, or right around, uh, I think it closes, between Christmas and New Year's is when it closes. Um, and out there, the month of December is, it's honker time. That's, you're shooting all giants. There is ducks, but... They they are definitely tough to hunt that time of year. You got really put, you got to put some weather in front of them. Um, like like uh, what do you mean that you got to get weather conditions right where they're hitting these fields or what? No, if you got so what I'm saying is is these birds have been hunted for so long that they will only come out for about the last ten minutes of shooting light. That's oh. all they feed during the day. But if you get a day that's going to snow, it messes them all up. You just go out to that field and you got to wait on them. But they will trickle off that river in the daylight. Does anybody hunt a river? Not really. The river's kind of a... The river actually used to be closed to hunting and uh, to waterfall hunting at one point. I'll be. Um, that part of the, the part of the Missouri River used to be considered a uh, waterfall rest area. Um, all the way from the dam on um, below Sakakawea all the way to the South Dakota border. Um, and then through time, they opened it up to where... You can now hunt the whole river for ducks, but not that many people do. Um, and late in December, it's not like there's tons and tons of them. Most of what's on the river is geese. Um, and then it still is closed. You can't hunt geese uh, from Washburn up to Lake Skakawea. You can't hunt geese on the river. It's still closed. And then violate sanctuary by state law. Yeah. I'll be. Yeah. So... I mean, that, that December time frame, that's when everybody's targeting. If you're going to hunt, that's when we're hunting big honks and the feeds get unreal. 
uh, that time of year. I mean, I normally won't even stop, slow the truck down unless it's over five to 6,000 honkers in the field. I'm normally looking for that number of eight to 10 because um, then it can, it can be a show. That's it can all. be a spectacle. A big, and and those, those, those big Canada geese are not going further south, are they? No. At all. No. If they, the Missouri River only freezes if it gets cold. And when I mean cold, I mean like 50 below zero for a week straight. And all they're going to do is bump down to where there is open water. And as soon as it warms up to break that ice free, they're going to be right back up there. This is as far south as they go. Um, they'll stay right in, right below the dam on Skakaway year-round. So to get on those big feeds y'all were talking about today while we were picking birds, it needs to be minus 50? No, no, no. no. You, you want it, The colder, the better. Um, if it's cold, they're going to come. It's it's a war of attrition. They're going to come out and feed. They know that you're – They them, these geese don't even care that you're there. They just know that eventually you're going to quit shooting us and you're going to give us this field. It's pretty much what it is. It's just to see who draws the short straw and getting shot. I'm wondering how bad my teeth would be chattering minus 50 and how, how far that sound would carry on a quiet winter day. Yeah. <laughs> probably, probably the coldest I've ever hunted in is, oh, we did a hunt, uh, three of us did a couple years ago, that it was 20 below zero at the air temp. Air was, the wind was blowing probably 15 miles an hour. And it was probably two of the most amazing days of honker hunting I'd, that I've ever had. Um, we could have been done in the first 15 minutes. But we sat back, did a little band hunting, looked for some quill lake geese, took turns calling each other out, trying to shoot birds, mm-hmm. giving each other shit if they missed. Speaking of bands, am I still going to be welcome back if Cooper's in retirement next year? Oh, that'd be tough. She can come, <laughs> she can come with and just ride in the side by side. She can yeah. sit in the blind beside me. I may bring a dog bed and keep her in there. She is a band magnet, isn't she? Yes, she is. Two she is two a- two years, two bands. I I I told you last year we were up here, guys, and I said all these Mallard and Canada geese, y'all must shoot a lot of bands. And Nick was like, we hardly ever shoot one. I said, oh, we're fixing to kill one. I guarantee you, with this yellow dog here, we're fixing to kill a band. <laughs> And uh, I think it was the next day or day after we did, she did bring one in. And then yesterday, well, actually Friday night, over hamburgers, cheeseburgers there at the local joint, I said, oh, yeah. I said, my only problem is I'd rather have a matter band than that dang Canada Goose band coming in. You should have seen everybody look at me when, when that big that big Canada Goose come in banded. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, hey, look, the world's a whole lot bigger than our backyard. I appreciate y'all listening to these stories. Uh, check out Instagram at Ramsey Russell Get Ducks. Uh, I try to do a lot of storylines with all these road trips and everything we do. I appreciate y'all listening. If you got any suggestions of topics or people, give me a shout. Put me in touch. Thank y'all. Another awesome sit down interview with Ramsey Russell. Ramsey Russell worldwide, man. This, it's growing, Ramsey. I appreciate you sitting down and doing these you know, while you're out and about. I enjoy it, man. I really do. Uh, It's just the conversations, uh, you know, 365 days a year, Rocky, I talk to duck hunters and duck guides and duck people. It's just uh, what I do, and so it it dovetails real easily with with what I'm doing anyway, and I hope people are enjoying it, and and I I, I would just take this time to remind people, hey, look, Everybody's got a story like Jake says, and, you know, if you know somebody or a subject or a topic, call me, shoot me a text, hit me up, hit me up in, uh, 
the inbox or something. Let me let me steer, steer me some way because you know these these podcasts are starting to take a life of their own. Rocky, I'm, I'm getting uh you know the, the podcast we did with Corey Loffer talking about moat migrators. Uh, I thought we did a pretty good job covering it, and I got a lot of questions that I realized I need to follow up on, and it'll take that story a little bit further. I'd like to keep building on it and, and building on the story of duck hunting. So you guys that are listening, if uh, if you've got a story or you've got you got an interesting subject matter that you'd like to hear discussed, hit me up. Your story too. Well, thank you again, Ramsey. It's a lot of I know I know three or four that's that's coming down the pipe in the next couple of weeks. Really, really good interviews. I want to thank you again for doing these while you're out. I want to thank all of you that listened to this edition of the End of the Line podcast, powered by DuckTops.com.